Hey everyone, it's Chris and Chels. And we're so excited that you're joining us for episode five of Since You're Here. Now, without further ado, let's introduce our special guest, Martha. I've known Martha for three years now. We met whenever I started working at Chick-fil-A back in 2020. She has always been such a sweet soul and kind character. She's kind of the person that you want to go to for advice. Mm -hmm. She's just super wise and brings a lot of wisdom to the table. And I feel like every time I hear her talk, she just brings joy to whatever the subject is that we're talking about. Yeah, she's the one person that I feel like is always praying for you without you even having to ask. And yeah. there's so many times when she has so much encouragement out of the blue. And it's just like God is interrupting your life to speak through her to you. And I, I just love that about her. It's amazing. Yeah, well, we really look forward to sharing this conversation with y'all. At the end of the day. If we're being honest. We are broken people. In a broken world. There's no getting around that. We may experience this brokenness in different ways. But one thing rings true. If we aren't open and honest about our brokenness, it will control us. Enslave us. So our mission, and since you're here, is to have the difficult, honest conversations that we aren't having, but should be. We believe that it's only through being transparent and unscripted about our brokenness and authentic community that real healing can begin and God's grace can shine forth. Thanks for tuning in and doing life with us. We are really glad you're here. Somehow more than what I have to start. Yeah, I've got spare parts. I feel like we only have ever really known you on a Chick-fil-A level, True. so we would like for you to tell us a little bit about yourself and introduce yourself. I've had a very interesting life. Wouldn't trade it, wouldn't trade one bit of it. And I don't mean that to sound arrogant, but I was who I was then, and I would have made the same decisions then. I started out as the youngest of three. My parents, um, my dad was in the Navy when I was born, not uh, serving the Lord. And then he became a Christian after my little sister would have been above me in age. She ate poisonous berries in their backyard and died. Oh my gosh. That brought my dad back to his knees. He found the Lord again became a minister, and he went to Lee University, and we were sent to, uh, let's see, we were sent to some churches in North Carolina first, and then he went to missionary, Nigeria. We lived there three years, and then we went to Panama Canal Zone for six years, and that's where I met my husband. Wow. Now, I have three children and 11 grandchildren, and one great-grandchild. That's such a treat. Well, this week's topic is on marriage, and we are super blessed to have you. For those who don't know, Martha has explained that she is very passionate about it, so we are very, very excited to have her on today. So Martha, tell us a little bit about how you relate to this week's topic on marriage. The way I relate is, I believe it's God's perfect plan for a man and a woman. I do know that there are exceptions, so God calls some people to be single, like Paul and others in the Bible that we know, and other people nowadays. They're called into singleness, which I think is a challenge. But as you see in Genesis, God said Adam was lonely. He created Eve, the perfect companion for him. So that's where my passion comes from, is I believe God ordained it. I'm just excited to pick your brain and ask you, how do you feel marriage has shaped the way that you personally, as a follower of Jesus, 
How has it shaped the way that you process life? I would say I had dreamed of being married and marriage fulfilled that dream because as a little girl I wanted to be a wife and mother. When I was real little I just wanted to be a mother. My dad said, uh-uh, you have to be a wife first. <laughs> so marriage fulfilled my dream and I loved it. I still love marriage. I know it matured me because you have to grow up. You've got your share to do in the household and you have your children. And it makes a person think outside of themselves. When you're alone, of course, you tend to your your things and you try to follow what God's asking you to. But when you're in a marriage, it's teamwork. And for it to be successful, you have to feel like a team. We talk about teamwork on the job. Wow, marriage is a whole lot more important. And that's where you build that trust and teamwork and working together. So it makes you think outside of yourself. What would you say in relation to your spiritual journey, how did that impact marriage for you? I think I feel more comfortable reversing that. Marriage impacted my spiritual journey Mm. because I had to really hold on to the Lord. During our marriage, my uh, husband was in the Air Force. I was alone quite a bit as he went overseas. And I just learned to really trust the Lord. And then also, my marriage hit a roadblock and the bottom fell out. And I really learned to cling to and lean on the Lord and His Word and navigate life through trying to follow His will, His direction, because it had taken a detour I didn't expect. But I leaned on the Lord because I know God never changes. And I know His Word is truth. It is the yardstick. Mm. And nowadays the world is so confusing with all of its new age and Christian debates. I always tell people, go back to the Word, find a scripture as closely relating to that, if not exactly relating to that issue. That's the yardstick. So I tried to lean on the, the Word in the Lord. I think... You know, from my experience, like marriage definitely tests your faith in a lot mm-hmm. of ways, whereas singleness might not. Because like you said, you only have your things to tend to, mm-hmm. and then you're trying to tend to someone else's and figure out how they're thinking and feeling. How do you feel like you've learned to handle conflict as a follower of Jesus through your experience being married? You know, I wish I'd thought more about that before I got married because I'm a peace at all cost person which means you're a people pleaser, and really that's not a real good way to follow Christ. We're supposed to learn from Him. Mm. Of course, honor your marriage, honor your spouse, because I believe the husband is the head of the home. But when you you hit the roadblock and you go through that earthquake and you realize things aren't what you thought they were, you just readjust. And I learned communication was the key, and I knew that was missing from our marriage. We talked a lot. But it was about bills and the children Mm. and a lot of negative things. Mm. But I would tell young couples while they're dating, look each other in the eyes, communicate, talk about the hard things. Don't keep secrets. Secrets fester like a cancer. And that's what I found out. We were lacking real, true, honest communication. Once you marry, agree to disagree agreeably. Because there will be a lot of disagreements. You're from different backgrounds. And a choice you make will impact the other one as well. So I believe now in counseling. 
And I would tell any young person, and I do, I have grandchildren, get premarital counseling. Mm. Because then you can explore through a third party things that you might be concerned about, the caution light you're seeing in the other person, or something you feel insecure about yourself. Don't think the other person will fix you. Don't get into marriage with baggage. Mm. We all have it, yes. But if you talk to someone who's, I say a third party, they don't know you really, but they can give good advice, then you can go to your future partner and say, my counselor said so-and-so. It's not like saying my mom told me this, or I've observed this. It's not as, you're not as defensive, I think, when it's a third party. Mm. Also, when you first marry, don't use the word divorce as a manipulation tool throwing that around like a threat. Well, if you don't do this, I'll divorce you. I even heard Dr. Phil and his wife, they've been married right at 50 years, and they said they've never used the word hmm. because they agreed early. That wasn't going to be a tool to work against their marriage. So when you have conflicts, you don't need manipulation. You need wise counsel hmm. or it'll get it'll fester. That's really good, really good advice. I know a lot of young people that have gotten married and are talking about marriage and things like that. And I feel like sometimes it can be like a common misconception that all the problems you might have while you're dating, they're just problems because you're dating. And when you get married, those problems are going to go away. What would you tell couples that feel that way? Well, that's what I thought too. But I do know that once you get married and you settle in with each other and you go into your day-to-day routine, working, paying bills, especially if a child comes along early, you don't have as much time on the intimate relationship, conversation, or just time with each other. So you need to confront those issues before you get married. They don't just go Mm. away. I found that out. They just don't go away. And I think, again, a misconception is counseling is for people that have problems. No, it's for wise people that want to prevent problems. That's the truth. To me, counseling shows how much you care for the other person. I want to make this better. I'm going to talk about me. I'm going to be vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Counselor, how can I make this better for my spouse or my dating partner? So I think you have to be vulnerable to fix things. can't hide things. It'll eventually come out another way. Mm-hmm. Sort of off script in a way. Mm-hmm. You know, when you're handling conflict in a marriage, you have conflict on an internal level, mm-hmm. and you have conflict mm. on a relational level. Right. Um, you know, we talk a lot about handling con- conflict on a um, relational level, but how do you, and especially like in your faith, mm-hmm. handle that internal conflict when you just feel like you can't say anything or? You know, you're, you're, you're kept to yourself because conflict can be overwhelming, mm-hmm. as it is for a lot of people that are going through conflict in right. marriage. So what would your advice be to those people? That's a, bit, that's a tough question, but a, a one that's needed to answer, of course, have an answer to. I believe, again, going back to the Bible, and I know a lot of relationships are maybe beyond this particular scripture. That's why I talk counseling. But if you know there's an issue If you have an argument this evening, don't go to bed angry. If you do go to bed angry, say, I don't think I'll say the right things tonight, but we'll talk about this tomorrow. Make Mm. an appointment Mm. to talk about it tomorrow. Otherwise, it festers. 
it becomes bigger than it started out because one of you was in a bad mood or had a bad day and it, something came out wrong and then it hit the other one wrong and it becomes much bigger than it should be. So I believe the Bible says, don't, go to, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Mm-hmm. It's not always possible, but I get the point. Don't let time get by, because it will. Then it's much harder to confront it. And they'll say, you've been mad about this for a week or a month? Why didn't you just come to me? So it's better to at least say, I may say the wrong thing tonight. I'm in a mood. We'll talk about it tomorrow. At least you're both aware of it that way. That's a really good, I like your balanced perspective on that. Good. Because sometimes you hear people take it that verse so literally, Mm -hmm. and they'll be up till like 4 or 5 a.m. And I think that's the principle of it is address it. Yes. But maybe wait for another time when you have more clarity. Correct. And it allows you to think about it too. Sometimes I think about that when handling conflict at work. Mm. You know, Mm -hmm. I mean, like, there are times that I've had to leave my job and be like, I really wanted to talk to this person today, but if I talk to them right now, yes, Yes. Mm -hmm. but if I go home (laughs) and I I think about it for a little bit, maybe the Lord will give me a little bit more peace of mind about it. And then you can approach it differently. And I think that's important too. I call that wisdom. Waiting till you know you can talk without being so angry. Because mm. then you'll make, you'll make it worse. Things exacerbate then. Mm-hmm. So I think that's wise. Mm. Yeah, there's a lot of truth to that. Mm-hmm. I think of Barney Fife. Nip it in the bud. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. For sure. Nip it in the bud. Well, Martha, what are some of the biggest challenges that you've experienced as a Christian in a marital rela- relationship? I guess I'll have to go back to the way mine... Um, the way the eight years of trying to work this issue out that we had, I didn't want to be bitter, number one. I didn't want to be bitter. I didn't want to be angry. I didn't want it to consume me because Mm -hmm. either of those will consume you. I didn't want my children to be angry or bitter. So that was my daily prayer to the Lord. Lord, let me handle this the right way. So again, that's why I believe in counseling. Lots of that was done. And I don't want to say that my ex-husband was not a good man, he's a good man, dependable, helpful with all of us, and we're friends today, and I want to give God glory. I want to give God glory for that because I believe we both worked on that, being able to communicate later and um, know that we're, our friendship and a relationship meant more than the long-term bitterness or anger. You have to get over that, get through that to be a better person. So it's taught me about myself that how naive I was in the beginning. Like what we already talked about, we think mm-hmm. marriage will make it all better. Because <laughs> I fantasized about being a happily married wife. And I was so trusting, which is good. But you have to have the communication also. And I would say those of you that might be listening that it's gone too long without communication, stop in your tracks, fix it. Fix it. Have that talk with the other one. Say, you know what? I feel like I'm pushed in the, in the back. I'm about number three or four in line. The job is first, the computer's next, the cell phone's next, mm. the kids are next. Have a conversation and say this relationship began with me and you. I don't want to lose that. I refuse to lose that. Now how do we fix it? And let the partner answer you. And have that time of, instead of saying, 
you're wrong, you, 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 pointing the finger never works. How can we fix that? What can we do different and uh, make the change? Because going forward, I mean, don't you want 50 plus years of great relationship? Sure. I had a vision of being married 50 years, sitting in the rocking chair holding hands. I mean, that's the goal, to really be friends and enjoy each other. And it is attainable. Mm -hmm. I like how you use the word we mm -hmm. in almost every sentence, you know? Good. It's like, we're going to fix it, not you're going to fix it, mm -hmm. not I'm going to fix it. Right. Mm. The truth is, I don't think you really can fix anything if one person's in and one person's not. You got it. That's good. I was going to say the same thing. Oh, well, good. Because you can't. If you if you do come at it like mm -hmm. you need to fix this, mm -hmm. and then it becomes an attack, and really harking back to like, isn't this the vision that we want for us? Because um, I know it's it's scary to to confront those problems, yeah. especially when they've gone on for way too long, and and you've been too scared to say anything. Exactly. I remember when my son and his wife first got married, they were seeing a lot of problems with their young couple friends of theirs. And she told him one day, she said, our marriage is not going to be like that. And she was very adamant about that. I don't know what they did to change the dynamics, mm -hmm. but uh, I was going to talk about them later. They've been married uh, 25 years this January, and they really are great friends. They like each other, but they love spending time together every day. They go and have coffee and talk and laugh and solve issues and he told me something was so impactful and I've heard it since then that every day he tries to figure out what can I do to outserve my wife and I thought wow <laughs> I mean I was conscious of that but not to that degree mm -hmm. because I just love to please I love to serve but he's consciously asking every day and another time she told me that's what she does so I admire that again thinking outside of yourself that's really cool. Mm -hmm. I know you mentioned like friendship is a really key piece. Definitely. What would you say to young couples? I feel like there's more of an emphasis on maybe the romance part of the relationship or the romantic feelings part. How do you emphasize the friendship part and make sure that that's also compatible? I'm glad you asked. That's not even my notes, but I'm glad you asked. <laughs> I have told other people that were single if you start dating, make sure you watch their life first. I don't believe in internet dating because you don't know that person. But if you work with someone, you go to church with someone, you're in community volunteering together, and there's someone that's interesting, that is good reputation, likable, open, not angry, then they might be worth dating. But I'll say this, don't move in together because there's respect that's lost, I'll have to say it. You're not making yourself worthwhile for him to take you on a date or her. Go on dating. Make yourself valuable, not just say, okay, I'll start doing the housework and the cooking. Now you're acting as though you're married without going through that testing period of waiting first. Hmm. So that's how I would answer it. Make yourself valuable and worth it. Well, Martha, how has Jesus met you in those challenges? Well, I think that's the good thing about the bad part of my marriage, was having to encounter Jesus much more 
desperately. I think when you're desperate for him, he's definitely going to meet you. And there was that time when I was weeping on the back porch, just thinking, what just happened? And I felt the Lord so near, and I knew he was with me. And that's when I started really leaning on him and not just depending on my husband's viewpoints or my husband's leadership because we, we were going through that, that time. And the Lord just met me there. And he will meet you there when you get desperate, when you call on him. And now I feel like that I've got a much more intimate, personal relationship with mm -hmm. Jesus because it's continued. It wasn't just for that bad time and then go back to the old life. Mm -hmm. So it's meant everything to me. That's why I do believe that I've become a better person overall, more compassion, because I didn't want bitterness. I wanted compassion, and I believe that's really helped get me there. I think bitterness is probably a common theme that people struggle with in, in marriage, mm -hmm. maybe even outside of marriage. Right. How would you counsel someone who might be in a marriage and they're struggling with bitterness and, and feelings of that nature? I, th I think, number one, you don't need to keep that feeling in. You have to find a confidant that you can talk to openly. Don't be ashamed. We all have feelings we're not proud of, but mm. a marriage is worth being open about. So if you can go to a counselor or a person that you know will keep it, that it's sacred to them not to tell that it's sacred, marriage is sacred. And you can say openly, I'm very bitter, and when, why? Do some prayer there and maybe some good, good talking. It's the beginning. It's opening you up because you know as long as you compartmentalize anything that's negative or a sin, it will grow because it's in darkness. Mm. And it's a little secret there. But once that lid is off and it's exposed, then God can deal with it a whole lot easier because now you've admitted it. Again, Dr. Phil says you can't fix what you don't acknowledge. I believe that. So the first thing is acknowledging that the bitterness is in the marriage because how can love thrive when the bitterness is there and has taken root? Yeah. No. It's like oil and water. It doesn't mix. It needs to be nipped in the bud. That's a good answer. Mm -hmm. I mean, you've probably touched on this already, but what has marriage taught you about yourself that you wouldn't otherwise know? I think the biggest thing would be to know that I needed to be married. That was my dream. I believe it's God's perfect plan and was for me. So I still believe that was the, the highlight of my life, getting married, having my children. And as I've said earlier, the, my marriage didn't work out for the 50 years, but for me, it was still fulfilling because I have my children and grandchildren. I would never and did not at the time say, I wasted those years. I shouldn't have married him. He was the one I prayed for. God gave both of us a choice. That's how you have to look at it. When there's a double life or infidelity, everyone has a choice. And yeah. if they don't make the right choice, you still have the responsibility to make the right choice. And it meant a lot to me to to learn about myself and to get through that. So, yeah, counseling was another thing. I do want to bring another another angle into this, though. I don't want to just have this be about myself. Yeah, go for it. Okay. I call that part one. Part two will be brief. Trust me. <laughs> <laughs>
as I said, God himself talked about marriage from Genesis to Revelation. And we know in Genesis, he made Adam, he made Eve for Adam, and told them to reproduce, and that's how we're all here, because they did. <laughs> and he said that Adam didn't need to be alone, so God custom made Eve for him. That's how much he cares about marriage. I do love the part in Ephesians, though, that it tells the husband to love and cherish his own wife as he does his own body and to cleave only to her. Cherish means treasure, love deeply. And if a husband and wife loved each other that way, there would be no looking around because your needs are met. Hmm. To really love someone, I think, is to know God's definition of love. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7 says love is patient. That's what we miss in a lot of marriages. We get short-tempered. Love is kind. I remember asking before, what ever happened to kindness? Love is not envious, it doesn't boast, and it's not proud. In an argument, why would you try to be the one who's always right? That's pride. That You're saying the other one is always wrong if you always have to be right. First Corinthians says, love does not boast, is not proud. In verse 5 of that, it says, it does not dishonor others, is it self-seeking, is not easily angered, keeps no record of wrongs. Mm -hmm. Oh, I was guilty of that at one time, keeping a little scoreboard. Well, I did this and he did that. No, that's not love. Love doesn't delight in evil, but rejoices with truth, protects, trusts, hopes, and perseveres. I want to say, don't fall for the trap of making lists because when you start keeping the scores and pointing out each other's flaws, that leads to resentment, which can pave the road to divorce. Communication is the key to any good relationship and be considerate, never at bedtime, do you want to bring up an argument or sensitive subjects. Pick even and odd days each month to bring up your problems. On an even day, stay away from problems. You both know that on the second or the fourth or the sixth of every month, it's going to be a pleasant day. <laughs> but the in-between days, now you can bring up those things, which I think is brilliant. You have time to think about it, not just blurt it out because you want to. When you're first dating, remember the winks and the special dates. You dressed up nice for each other. I think those are little things that can be brought back to a relationship to show how much you're considerate of the other person. You were attracted to them in the first place because of some of that kind of behavior. Don't get lost in the weeds of marriage and forget the honeymoon period, those little things you loved at first. Let your husband be your hero. That can be laughable to some women. They're thinking, oh my goodness, no, seriously. If you tell him, you're my hero. He may faint, fall on the floor. <laughs> but if you think about it, that's what he wants to be. If that can be cultivated again, praise him for the things you can praise him for and thank him for the things that he does that he thinks are going unnoticed or taken for granted. Yes, it can be reversed. The husband should also thank the wife for those things. But it goes back to human nature we want to feel appreciated and respected. Think of your job. Mm -hmm. Don't you want to be respected and appreciated? Of course. Don't you want your supervisor to listen to you? Of course. How much more in the marriage it is teamwork. 
the best resource I know of that's free. James Dobson's Focus on the Family has YouTube series on how to get your marriage better. And they have so many subjects. So I want to leave you with that thought. It's worth doing some homework. Maybe have a, an evening together where you listen to one of those. Don't fall for the trap that the grass is greener on the other side. Water your own grass and work at it because it's worth it. That's good. That's really good. I love what you said about like the appreciation. Because I think if you say to your husband, like, you're my hero, or you say to your wife, like, you know, you know you're know, you my everything, you're my treasure, like, yes. it makes, at least from the male perspective, mm-hmm. like, it makes us want to grow even more into that role that, you know, you'd see us as. Mm-hmm. You want to live up to it. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Exactly. May I leave one quote and then I'm done? Go for it. My favorite quote on marriage was, a bride of 50 years was asked the secret of the longevity they were celebrating with a party. Mm -hmm. To me, this is riveting. I've written it every time I've taught a class at church on marriage or any relationships. We've struggled, because that's a true word in marriage, we've struggled together through the bad times until the good times returned. I love the until. Mm. You're expecting the good times to return. So I'll say it again. We struggled together through the bad times until the good times returned. Don't jump in the middle. Don't give up. That's really good. Thank you so much for sharing. Thank you for asking me. (laughs) I also wanted to ask you this question. I know we talked a little bit about boundaries and and having those healthy personal (laughs) boundaries, even in marriage. And Mm -hmm. I just wanted to pick your brain on that a little bit. Well, I've learned that over many years because my nature, I was the youngest of four, and my dad was a minister, and we were always told we were the examples. We lived in a fishbowl. We were the preacher's kids. Everybody sees everything you do. And so I always wanted to please the Lord. I've always, to my knowledge, been a Christian. I don't remember doing the sinner's prayer for the first time and Mm -hmm. repenting of my sin. I just grew up loving the Lord. So I've had to mature a lot as a Christian, and I think boundaries was a big part. It was so easy for me to not have an opinion. Whatever you want to do. Whatever you want to do. But life started teaching me they have an opinion. It means a lot to them for me to answer honestly if they're asking a question, what do you want to do? So I started thinking about In fact, a counselor asked me one time, well, what do you want out of this? And I thought, I was stunned. I'd never thought about that. So I think you have to ask yourself, especially as Christians, what do I want as a Christian? What are we, what's fulfilling to me? And then keep the boundaries around that because we can get so busy in so many directions saying yes to everybody when you need to know what you really are called to do or have the passion to do and not try to just do it all or say yes because you don't want to say no. Yeah, I definitely have boundaries now with friends. I've been burned, as probably most of us have, when you're kind, people can take advantage. And I would have to learn, whoa, whoa, this is going too far now. I was just trying to help. So I think you have to be honest and say, am I doing this now to please them? Or am I doing it out as unto the Lord? Hmm. Yeah. Does that answer that at all? Yeah, that does. That's a good okay. distinction. Sometimes we, we do it because we want to make sure that we look good mm-hmm. as opposed to what does what is Jesus' heart right, right here. Right. Yeah, what's helpful. And that's important at work, too. 
one of the greatest things I think I've ever heard that's like stuck with me was just calling this an objective moment where you're at work with your friend, even if it's, Mm -hmm. you know, even if Christopher and I are working together and I have like a serious issue with him and it's on a work level, obviously not a personal level, but because you are like personal friends, it is hard to want to bring up conflict because Mm -hmm. you don't want to hurt the other person's feelings. And I think that can also happen in marriages where it's like, you don't want to fight because you hate conflict, so you don't really want to talk about it or bring it up because you don't want to upset the other person. But being able to call them a little out of pocket and say, hey, like this is not affect my love for you, this doesn't affect our relationship, but this is what I want to bring up, this is what I see, and I'm doing it because I love you, you and go. because I have that relationship with you, this isn't an attack. Mm-hmm. And I think mm-hmm. being open about that is, you know, extremely important, especially for people like people I've known who are in marriages where one or both have come from traumatic backgrounds. Yes. A lot of times conflict feels more of an attack. Mm-hmm. And I like what you said. This is not an attack. Prepare them. Let them know it's not. We're just trying to uh, better the relationship. I want you to understand me more. Or I want to understand your action more. It's not an attack. I just want to understand so we can get along even better. It's enhancing the relationship. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's crazy when you do sit down and talk with someone mm-hmm. that you have conflict with, you realize, you know, yeah, there's ways that we're all going to be at fault in a conflict. Yeah. But a majority is, a lot of times, we just don't understand the other person's actions. And it's not from a hostile place. There you go. But if we don't communicate, we internalize it mm-hmm. and we assume and... Yeah. And bitterness grows. So true. You know, I wanted to ask one last question. What has marriage taught you about Jesus that you wouldn't have otherwise known? Well, marriage has allowed me to depend on him more, to get to know him more, to want to know him more on an intimate level. I feel like I've turned to him so much more because you can't navigate it by yourself. And even if both parties in the marriage love each other and love the Lord, you still need that personal time. And I liked how you said that you have your personal time with the Lord. And It takes some cultivating. A lot of people don't, don't think they have the time, but your day will go better if you make the time. Get up 10 minutes earlier or 15 minutes earlier. Carve out that time, showing the Lord that He is priority. Because once the day gets going, you lose control, right? There's just too much happening. Yeah. So it's made me depend on him so much more. I hope I would have done that as a single person, but being married and going through that experience, I would definitely say he's my best friend. The relationship is stronger. I don't want to displease him or hurt him. That's cool how everything, I mean, even how you talked about how the trauma in your dad's life brought Mm -hmm. him closer to the Lord. Definitely. Even the painful things we walk through, Mm -hmm. like bear fruit in our relationship with him if we're open to that that's right and we do have that choice you can get bitter and go the opposite extreme and end up sabotaging yourself and your life or you can lean into the lord and say boy if i ever needed you i need you now and mean it yeah and it's not just in that moment but for life well what we uh, normally do at the end of every episode is we ask a question <laughs> Just a fun question. Oh, good. <laughs> so, since you're here, Uh-oh. we will ask you this question. Okay. If you could have one exotic pet, what would it be? Exotic pet? 
a pet that's not a normal mm-hmm. household one. Okay. A deer. A deer. <laughs> <laughs> it's not exotic, but I love deer. That's cool. Would it just their be... gentle nature? <laughs> They're so cute. They don't bite. <laughs> Would it be an indoor deer or an outdoor no, deer? No, it have to be outdoor. <laughs> yeah. I can't imagine a litter box being that big. <laughs> That's so cool. Something gentle. Yeah. How about you? I've always thought of having an owl. It's interesting. Yeah, the it's, wise owl. Yeah. It's illegal in North Carolina. Oh. No. But not in every state. <laughs> So is he moving soon? <laughs> I don't know. This is the first time hearing about Christopher being into owls. No, I'm just kidding. I know you like owls. So I, just, I don't know if I could imagine having a pet owl. I think I'd be freaked out if I woke up in the middle of the night and those things were staring at me. Like, especially being that they're so nocturnal, they would keep me up. That's true. What about you? Um, I don't know. Sometimes I think about having like a little like baby sloth. <laughs> oh, yeah. we used to have those in Panama where I lived. Or like that's so cool. And when they're crossing the road, you move out of the way and just let them go with it. Yeah, that's cute. They're very cute. Mm-hmm. That's so cool. I used to work at another Chick Fil A, and there was a family that had a pet monkey, and it was like a baby monkey, like a baby monkey, and they used to come through the drive-through in order. The monkey a kid's meal, and I used to get to no hand the kid's way. meal out, and, like, the little monkey would, like, open the bag and, like, start eating its nuggets. How cute is that? In the, literally sitting, like, on the console of the car. So, <laughs> those are cute, too. I don't know if I could, I just don't know what it would be like to have a pet monkey. If you're listening and you have a pet monkey and you're out there, I want to know what that's like. I mean, is it like having a dog? I mean, that they can walk. You know, it's just like, do you have to worry about them climbing all over everything like cats? I mean, I have so many questions. Send us an email if you are listening. And I'm have a also pet not opposed to having a pet monkey. But Hernan, if you're listening, that doesn't mean I want one. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. Well, Martha, thank you so much for joining us and spending time with us. Thank and, you. Um, I enjoyed it. Just being open about what the Lord's done through marriage and in your life. Thank you all for tuning in and listening to episode 5. If you liked our content, please subscribe and share. And if there are any difficult topics that you would like us to address in future episodes, or if you would like to ask Martha any further questions, please email us at podcast at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. See you next time. Somehow more would I have to start Yeah, I've got spare parts I tried to fix it Best I remembered it I hope it runs when I fire it up Cause I got spare